All right, here we are. Hi, everyone. My name is Michael, the introvert networker. And today our guest is Amal Galbuni. Amal is an ex-executive strategy director turned executive coach and team effectiveness expert. She helps leaders and their teams connect and perform at their best and most sustainable way, individually and together. What is more, she writes about herself. She's the introvert in a people-led industry with love for talking in front of crowds. Hi, Amal. Nice to hear you. Hi, Michael. How's it going? Oh, you know, it's a morning, so we're going to kickstart this conversation. I've got my coffee. I'm ready. Well, you know, yeah, <laughs> perfect. Yeah. We're meeting today to discuss about your story, uh, about your professional experience and your networking experience, especially since uh, I know you've got a story to tell and our today topic of the day let's say it like that topic of the day is making the first step so could you tell us briefly your story how you get where you are here right now how you became this executive coach and team effectiveness expert and why did we select this making the first step topic for today's conversation. Okay, uh, well I'm Amal, I uh, am an introvert but probably verging on ambivert sometimes. I mm -hmm. am originally from Lebanon, I grew up uh, as an only child, probably something that contributed to me being an introvert but here we are. Um, I came to the UK in 2008. I didn't know anyone here. Talk about networking. I started with a network of precisely zero. Uh, so trying to get my first job, trying to get my second job, trying to get promoted. Uh, everything took a lot of effort because I, I didn't grow up here. I didn't have a network. I didn't have family that I can say, hey, can you call your friend dad? Because, you know, I need to get a promotion. Um, and I think for the longest time, I undervalued the power of network. I just thought, hey, I'm smart, I'm capable, I'm well educated, like I'll nail it, it'll be easy. Uh, yeah, after a while, I realized that that doesn't count. What really counts is who you know, not what you know. Uh, and it's quite daunting at the beginning because obviously I don't enjoy like going into rooms with people I've never met before and trying to you know, mm -hmm. get to know people on the spot. It just feels it just feels so unnatural sometimes. So at the beginning, I found it really tough. But professionally, I guess my background is in strategy and innovation consulting. Um, so ever since I got started, I've been working directly client facing. Um, so working with people has been like the biggest constant in my career so i've worked with everybody from shop floor assistants doing digital transformation work to FTSE uh, 100 fortune 500 ceos um, and other c-suites so that aspect of my job has i guess over time given me the confidence to get into rooms where i don't know anybody and just pick up a conversation with strangers because i've picked up conversations with strangers in my uh, consulting work, interviewing stakeholders, running workshops mm -hmm. with 
70 plus people in the same room over two days and making sure I don't get com- get completely drained out of my energy. Um, so I guess over time, I realized the value of two things. One, uh, the networking aspect. And it, it's not about what you know, it's about who you know. I know it's like a really cliche saying, but I learned it the hard way because when I started out here, I didn't know anybody, but I thought I knew everything. Therefore, I'd be okay. I was absolutely not okay. So I had to learn the power of networking. And the other thing, I guess, is over time, I... I picked up the skills to talk to random strangers because I'd done it so so for so long in my day job that now I can pick up a conversation with anybody. Um, so, which also obviously is a big part of networking and training as a coach mm-hmm. uh, was great. I, in a lot of ways, it's very similar skill sets to what I had in consulting, but it's a slightly different way of applying the same skill sets. But it also gives you the ability to talk to random strangers because it's all about asking good questions, shutting up and listening. So I I guess over time, I've become way more comfortable with uh, networking, way more comfortable with talking to strangers. And I actually kind of enjoy it sometimes, a lot of the time. <laughs> Let's return to that year of 2008. You're flying from Lebanon to UK to London in particular. You're here on the you know, British ground knowing literally no one. So what's next? How did you even start? Because that was bloody daunting thing i believe like the level of anxiety and uncertain as uncertainty uncertainty <laughs> yeah morning coffees uh, <laughs> that level of uncertainty may be overwhelming for most of us uh i know i've been in such situations just you know mov- moving across the ocean to completely different mm-hmm. ecosystem and with completely different even cultural background so how do i you know kickstart my activities on the ground where i need to even learn how people think in this new environment yeah it wasn't easy uh, and actually it was uh, it was even more complicated than what i made it sound i came to uk in 2008 with a master's in finance with a plan to get into investment banking. If you remember 2008, mm-hmm. that was the year where all the banks were yeah. on fire and like the economy was collapsing and everybody was being fired. So it was probably the worst time to pack a suitcase and just come over and you know see if I can get a job here. Um, I guess one of the good things that came out of me being from Lebanon and growing up in a really chaotic environment is I'm pretty adaptable and I'm very resourceful. So I uh, I turned up, I gave myself two months. Uh, I thought um, I'd give it two months, see if I can get a job, see if I've got like the ability to connect and like get myself some interviews, etc. I put on the TV, clearly that was not going to happen. Uh, I still gave it a few weeks, but then I decided to pivot. Um, which is another theme of my career, really. Uh, so I decided to go to business school, and that was slightly easier because I could just choose which schools I wanted to apply to and uh, interview with them. And um, I was lucky that I got the first one I interviewed for. 
and I ended up moving to Italy for a bit and then came back to the UK, still had a network of zero. Um, but I guess I just wasn't too scared of putting myself out there. So I just applied for anything that sounded good. I went to random meetups with random strangers. Uh, including like a very awkward dinner that I remember where it was eight people who didn't know each other and didn't have anything to talk about and you we were all just sitting there going we're gonna do a full oh. dinner are we sure about this uh, so I tried things which is another theme of my career uh, and mm. life generally um, until I found my first role nice so eight of you just sitting in silence trying to you know have a strike a discussion about anything but without any subject you could talk whatsoever yeah that sounds really <laughs> i bet i it wasn't um, even the only time if i may be a <laughs> yeah so i guess those were the times where it wasn't still on you to make the first step. Like what I mean is that I believe lots of lots of us could find themselves in such situation and in a place where no one really wants to talk, no one really approaches us and it's on us to approach some people or and let it be dinner, let it be a networking event, let it be conference or even, you know, just a job market. And what could be that one mind, one piece of mindset or one practice that I could utilize to avoid being in such a situation where no one really knows how to start, where to begin or even how to approach anyone? It's a good question. I think it takes confidence to be able to sit in that room and go, I'm going to be the person who starts that conversation. And trust me, at the time, I did not have that. Like, I was in a brand new country. I didn't know that many people. I was sitting in a room with like strangers. We were all like, we had, there was this set expectation that we were there to like meet and mm -hmm. have a really interesting conversation. So the expectation was really high, but the confidence was really low. Terrible mix. Because when you put so much pressure on a situation, be that, like you say, a job interview where your expectations like, oh my God, I need to get this job. If I don't get this job, I'm completely screwed. Uh, and your confidence is really low. So you're like a ball of nerves mm. and it shows. That combo of high expectations, low confidence is really terrible. So I would say try to move the needle on either of those two things. So uh, in terms of expectation, now I sometimes go into rooms where I'm like, What's the worst that can happen? I don't get along with anyone. Or what's the worst that can happen? Like, I've wasted an hour of my time. Or what's the worst that can happen? Like, I try to make the first step and I try to have a conversation with somebody and we don't gel. At least I've tried. So I've lowered my expectations massively <laughs> when it comes to, uh, you know, like the success of a certain situation, like even outreach on LinkedIn. You know, sometimes I find people who are really interesting and I send them a note and like, love your vibe or love your content like would be great to connect 
what's the worst that can happen? They decline the connection, but what's the best that can happen? We end up like building really good relationships at the back of that. So lowering the expectation definitely helps, but then boosting your own confidence can also help, like either or works, right? Um, so like I said, at the time, I didn't have experience of going into rooms full of people that I didn't know and trying to like, you know, either impress them or like connect with them on like a deeply human level. Uh, I just didn't have that experience. Therefore, I didn't have the confidence. I didn't believe that I could do it. But over time and having done it with all sorts of different people through work as well as through personal stuff, you end up building your confidence um, when it comes to getting into those situations. So basically, practice makes perfect, I guess. Practice makes better. It's never going to be perfect. <laughs> I hate okay. the word perfect. I yeah. fucking hate the word perfect. Uh, as like a recovering perfectionist, uh, as an overachiever, mm-hmm. the word perfect just triggers me on like a deeply personal level. I think like so many of us chase perfect for so long that we miss so many opportunities to just be good enough. Uh, so sorry (laughs) next better all right yeah i get it i get it absolutely so my question would be what was the worst thing that happened and what was the best thing that happened because you mentioned like what can what worst can happen like let's hear your story the worst that can happen uh okay so this is uh i don't think i've told this story that many times but one of my uh, i was a contractor like in my early years, uh, super shy, super introverted. At the time in that contract, my boss was based in the US. So technically I only went into the office to sit in an office, but I worked with somebody who's based in the US. So I didn't have, like, I didn't know anybody else in the office. We didn't work together. Mm-hmm. Um, and as an introvert uh, and as myself, I go into a room where I like I don't want to bother people. I don't want to disturb them. You know, I don't want to like be annoying. Like they don't work with me. I'm just gonna let them do their own thing. I'm gonna come sit at desk and work. And then one day, um, somebody tells me that this chief marketing officer uh, had said that I'm really arrogant. Why? And I'm like what i've not spoken to this guy like why uh so i did something that i had up to that point never done before i just went hey can you come into a room with me to the chief marketing officer me super junior just starting mm-hmm. out him chief marketing officer i uh, go into a room i'm like i heard that you called me arrogant tell me why and he's like because you come into the office you don't talk to anybody you just like sit there and do your job and like it's just not a, like a very friendly gregarious sociable attitude to have I was like oh i just didn't want to disturb anybody because i was doing my job but for me that was a wake-up call that what i thought was just doing the job was actually putting off other people because I wasn't like being sociable. I wasn't putting in the effort to network, to connect with people, to speak Mm -hmm. to everybody else. And my introvert tendencies were actually harming me because they were coming across as something I'd never meant. Uh, so from then, on, from then on, I'm like, no, okay, cool. So I'm going to go into any office, whether I know people, or I don't know people. I'm going to smile and I'm going to say hi to everyone because I don't want to be misconstrued. I don't want this to like come across like 
arrogance or not caring or whatever because that's absolutely not the case uh, so that was one of the worst quote-unquote things that happened mm-hmm. yeah so to put it in my words if you do not approach people and if you don't show yourself the way you are they're gonna assume and sometimes they're gonna assume the worst uh, i believe Mm, there's a saying that never assume because assume means making an ass of yeah, you yeah. and me <laughs> yeah but okay we heard like one of those bad stories but what's your success story what's that the best that happened when you know building those relationships or approaching the new ecosystem new environment oh i mean so much has happened i met you through growth mentor like <laughs> that's something that i nearly gave up a couple of years ago because yeah. i burned out and like i needed to like simplify my life but i came back to it last year and now mm-hmm. i'm like oh great you want to do a podcast right let's chat like it's things like this where i'm just like happy to help other people and just like get involved i started a podcast last year i uh i'm bringing it back this year uh it's called brick by brick and it was all about personal reinventions so talking to creative founders and leaders from around the world and um talking to them about their own personal reinventions and like the different chapters they've gone through Mm -hmm. in their life and how they manage those pivots and i reached out to a whole bunch of people like i reached out to um reality tv person (laughs) Uh, she was on um, mm. below deck uh, and went swimming with sharks and doing like conservation work and all sorts of really fun things. So I interviewed her. I got in touch with an Air Force uh, commander who used to fly F-15 jets. Okay. Uh, interviewed him. I got in touch with the ex-CEO of IBM Asia. I'm like, hey, we kind of crossed paths a long time ago. Would you be up to talking to me again? She's like, yeah, absolutely. So again, like with this mindset of what's the worst that can happen, they can say no. But if they say yes, how mm-hmm. cool. So you just so you just sent out the LinkedIn messages saying like, hey, that's the thing I'm doing, yeah. nothing else. Like, and like, obviously I made it personal, right? Yeah. Like I think my, my advice mm-hmm. to anybody who's like reaching out to new folks is make it personal and give it, like make it interesting for them, not just interesting for you. Um, it's like you said to me, like this is this is my opportunity to tell my story. So it's the same thing when when I reach out to other people to hear their stories, I make it about them. I don't make it about myself. Uh, so that's a side piece of advice. But if if you're scared of reaching out to people, just make it personal and make it about mm-hmm. them. And the chances are they'll say yes because people are nice. Yeah, yeah, people are nice and they like and. No, no. <laughs> uh, and you're going to hate it, but they love talking about themselves yeah. and they love just having the microphone and being able to speak about it. But you mentioned bricks. Yes. And I know you're the Lego Serious Play facilitator. And you've got your business practice based yeah. on Lego. And you're conducting, you know, co- coaching workshops. Uh, how do you call it? Could you tell us a bit about it? Because like the first time I saw it, 
I just started to think, okay, so are we using like a, I don't know, design thinking um, framework, but with Lego, uh, how does it help? And what does it do even, uh, you know, in application? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I do two things. I run a private coaching practice and I work with um, fairly senior folks, usually in creative and tech, who got to the point in their career where they're like, mm -hmm. I lost a bit of myself, like either after burnout or after having uh, kids or after being denied a promotion or whatever that is. They got to the point where they're like, something doesn't feel quite right. Uh, and I want to do something differently or something different next, whether that's stay in the same role and reshape their leadership or go to another role or start their own thing. Uh, and they get to they, they come to me because they're at that stage where they're not exactly sure what to do next, but they want to make sure that whatever they do next feels intentional. Uh, and I run a team effectiveness studio where we help teams work better together by improving the level of human connection, their level of clarity on their destination and the way they creatively problem solve issues as they go through uh, their day-to-day -day challenges. And the um, team effectiveness studio is called the Brick Coach because we use bricks. But I also use them in my private practice. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> it's it's great. I use something called Lego Serious Play, like you said. Uh, Lego Serious Play is initially a facilitation technique that was invented back in the mid-90s to help companies innovate and collaborate at pace. Um, it's all about metaphors and storytelling, so nothing is literal. Uh, you can use any brick to make it mean anything you want. Um, and it really helps to take away like the personal opinion and it abstracts um, a lot of thinking away from the person and sharing the opinion and into bricks. Uh, mm. So I'll share my little model. This has been my oh. quarterly focus since October. So November, December and uh, January. This is my quarterly focus. These seven bricks has ke have kept me mm. sane. <laughs> For the last like two months and <laughs> um, do yeah. they have a meaning or just an abstract oh, no, no. form every single brick has to have a meaning no. and that's like the beauty of like a serious play oh. is like everything is super intentional like you pick a brick and you give it mm -hmm. a very specific meaning and then together the model has a very specific meaning too um so last year i was taking on too much uh, and I was in this red zone of constantly being close to burnout mm -hmm. slash constantly being close to not achieving anything because I was trying to juggle too many things at the same time. Um, so I had to reorder my priorities, which is like the different bits over here. Um, uh, the green piece over here is following, um, is my private coaching practice. And it's where a lot of the growth has been coming from. So I've been following it and prioritizing it. So the model actually looks mm -hmm. like this. So this is at the front. And my biggest challenge okay. to myself has been visibility and putting myself out there a lot more and telling more of my story, connecting more with my audience and like just, yeah, as an introvert as well, fun. Uh, <laughs> being more visible is always good so that's been the challenge to myself <laughs> and then the brick coach uh, has second priorities it's a bit at the back um, I'm doing a lot of building but in the background so I'm not talking a lot about it that's why that's a grey sad little brick over here because it's like mm -hmm. background um, work um, keeping an eye out for possibilities you can see this one is transparent so I'm keeping yeah. I'm 
I'm looking through to see where the biggest opportunities go and whenever I'm ready this will take a step forward depending on how things go so I'll revisit this at the end of the month and it'll be probably a completely different model wow, <laughs> wow. I need to think it over because like when you started telling like each brick has its own story I started thinking about my own brick yeah. structure in mind and it doesn't help that yesterday I was attending the Contemporary Museum because right now in my head I've got the huge structure it's not seven blocks it's like <laughs> 10,000 blocks and you know going everywhere and everything at once like <laughs> But on the other hand, like, as you said, it's just seven bricks and it helps really synthesize what's going on. It's powerful. And then it even like from, I'm just right now, I'm speedballing and thinking out loud, but what it really helps with is being concise about yourself. Some time ago, I did a series of blog posts about crafting your elevator pitch. And those seven blocks may form your own elevator pitch. Like when you spend some time with defining the structure and each block, then you've got the whole picture. I can wow. talk about this for days, but I've had I clients enjoy. build their business including like marketing strategy, proposition development, all the different challenges that they're going to have to overcome to actually achieve like their business vision with Bricks. I've had people change their relationship to uh, toxic parents, toxic uh, partners. I've had um, teams open up about personal loss and personal uh, confusion mm -hmm. and like stories of them growing up and how that's affected them in the present and how that's affected the way they operate so people can understand each other and understand how, where they're coming from I've had I use it a lot to help clients figuring figure out what their sense of purpose is because a lot of clients who come to me they've got to the stage where they've either burnt out or they're so overwhelmed they can't even tell you what they like doing or who they are so doing explorations around Jenny the question of who are you like as a person who are you and I'm not asking what do what you do for work I'm asking who are you like what's important to you what are your yeah. values what what makes you tick what are your passions what gives you a sense of purpose what do you want to do more of what have you lost along the way like it's incredibly powerful both in like a coaching setting and in a team training session set setting yeah, especially since Lego like our minds immediately wander towards exactly. the play and it takes off the seriousness of the conversation and then when you you know when you play it's way easier to build relationships and it's the same with children they build a relationship through yeah. playing with each other just having fun and we as adults we still enjoy playing we still want to do things that feel like play let it be work or leisure it doesn't matter if it feels like play we let a bit of our guard down and well from what i believe is that 
spending a coaching session playing Lego with your client helps build relationship in a much more private and intimate uh, way than just you know sitting in front of each other and working out some stuff and one thing i really enjoyed is one of your case studies of your work uh, of your client reframing his idea of success and when he came to you saying he wants to earn more money and it turned into let me quote not snapping at my daughter on a sunday when she wants to play because i've been up working all night like i'm all yours then <laughs> it's so true right uh, like this client he was the cto uh, unicorn um he exited mm-hmm. uh after like they um after their valuation so he did well for himself he took a couple of years to pursue passion projects and those passion projects got to the point where they weren't passion projects anymore they were just chores like they were consuming all his time he was working evenings he was working weekends he was chasing people who were not as committed as he was to those projects and he came to me because he's like i like that was fun i just don't want to do it anymore but i don't know what i want to do next um and one of the commonalities with some of the clients i work with is we uh, we come from developing countries we don't come from places that have safety nets Uh, we don't come from like the uk Mm -hmm. where it's okay if you're unemployed like the government will pay for that like a lot of my clients we come from countries like it doesn't have to be lebanon but a lot of my clients are from other european countries or other american Mm -hmm. countries where like a safety net is not necessarily as Um, strong or like the concept is not something that we've actually grown up with Um, so he and the idea of success is a big title is money is mortgage is a flashy car like is all of the things that you know you're told you should get because if you don't get them are you even successful uh, like growing up, I was like doctor, engineer or lawyer no okay become a director of what it doesn't matter Anyway, uh, back to my clients. Um, so he's like, great, so I've taken a couple of years out. That's awesome. But what do I want to do next? And we, um, I always say to clients, if you're trying to figure out what you want to do next, don't ask yourself that question. Start with, who am I? What makes me tick? What do I enjoy doing? What drives me? What do I absolutely hate doing? What do I want in the long run? And what drives me in the long run? And then come back to what do I do next? Otherwise, like that, do like that question can take you off track if you don't answer the first two first. Um, so we were doing the exploration of what do you want long term, and he's like, I want to be successful. Like, great. What does that look like? And he's like, well, starting a startup and potentially like getting to evaluation of X and like then exiting. I'm like, great. And like having a team and like going through all the funding rounds and like building the product and doing like all the um, customer validation and the constant iterations. And he's like, <laughs> that didn't sound exciting all of a sudden. Cause it wasn't just like build a thing and like make it successful. It's like, no, it's like mm-hmm. work really hard at this thing and build a team and get money and constantly like, justify your valuation and chase more money chase more users update your product like that started to become more of a chore rather than like a fun like idea of success um Mm -hmm. 
And yeah, he he basically said that currently, because the two projects he'd been chasing, uh, he's been working on, had become more of a chore. He'd been working evenings, he'd been working weekends, and his daughter would sometimes want to play at like 8 a.m. On, sun- on a Sunday morning, and he'd get really snappy or like he'd shut her down because he'd work all of Saturday night. And he's like, that, she don't want to do that again. Like, great. So does that successful startup idea still count as your idea of success? And he's like, mm-hmm. nope. Go, okay. Just sometimes stepping back, speaking out those words that, you know, are hidden behind your ear. That's why I believe the, you know, rubber duck concept is so powerful that even though you know things and well let's say you think you know things when you speak them aloud they start losing Mm. their sense and they start sounding even to you like a bunch of bullshit you mentioned that you know you moved from lebanon to uk which is a completely different cultural environment and you're working with people from all over uh, lots of you know immigrants or people you know switching their home turf so what are the biggest differences and similarities between let's say that western european market and mindset and middle eastern mindset level in what's common between UK and Lebanon, what's completely different and how those things that you were, you know, that you grew up with translated into your experience in the UK? Uh, Interesting. I think it's more different than similar, to be honest. Um, In the UK, work Mm -hmm. is a very important part of your life. Like if you ask somebody what do you do, they tell you, like who are you? Or like if you meet somebody for the first time, they'll tell you I'm a consultant. Like hi, my name is Amal and I'm a strategy consultant. Whereas like if you meet people in Lebanon, they'll say hi, I'm Amal and they'll say ah, oh, what's your last name? Where where do you live? Where do you go to school? Like it's social is more important than work versus in the UK mm-hmm. like work is such a central part to your identity, but also to your world. Um, which obviously means that you work longer hours, you put in more time, you put in more effort into work. It's such a big part of your life, I guess. Um, another difference, I guess, was really different. Was really difficult for me to adjust to, is Brits hate confrontation. Like Brits will <laughs> are so passive aggressive and they just like say things they don't mean and you're supposed to like read between the lines. I'm like, just fucking tell me what you mean. <laughs> like it'll make my life so much easier. I don't want to guess. Um, but the first few jobs I had were like in fairly big companies. Like my first job was at the BBC. I worked Mm -hmm. at RELX. They're like a FTSE 100 company. I worked at Amazon for a bit and everybody's just polite, but like fake polite, like not polite, polite. (laughs) I don't know how to describe it. 
Um, like I'm a very honest person uh, so I, I tell you what I think and that just offends British mm -hmm. people because like that makes me come across as insensitive or like blunt when I'm just trying to tell you what I think about a thing and then we can move on yes um, but in the UK you can't treat like it's not a thing it's not the done thing um, People prefer to be indirect and to, you know, like cushion their words and like say things that they hope you'll read in between the lines of. And I find that really frustrating and I really struggled with that at the beginning. Um, I think those were the biggest differences, like the how central mm -hmm. work is to your life is not something that I had in Lebanon. Like I've, I'd always had a job uh, like since I was probably... 16 I've always had a job like even if it's a part-time job uh, but it was always a thing that you go and do and come back and then you hang out with your friends and like family and like your social life is way more important than your work life and in the UK it's completely the opposite and then yeah the directness thing I really struggled with that when I got here okay so what would be the like, let's assume I'm coming to UK tomorrow and I know no one, literally no one. And I want to you know, build relationships. I want to network. I want to go out and meet yeah. some people. What would be those first steps to be made in the UK? And then let's say in a week I'm flying to Lebanon and what my first steps should be then? Oh, I would say don't fly to Lebanon unless you have unless you have a friend who lives there or somebody who's going to show you around. Like, just don't, <laughs> just don't. Like that is my advice. Okay. Just don't. <laughs> so let's say a cultural, you know, environment like a, a bit, you know, let's say a bit uh, safer place right now. Um, okay, so if you came to the UK, actually, I was going to say one of the similarities between Lebanon and the UK uh, is mm -hmm. oh, yeah. all about who you know. Like in Lebanon, there's a word, uh, it's wasto, and it means, uh, you know, somebody who knows somebody who can get you a thing or who can get you a job or who can get you in mm -hmm. with somebody. Uh, and I hated that because like my family is not well connected. Or, so like if, you, if you're not well connected, you're never going to get a job. You're never going to get a good job. You're ne never going to get promoted. Um, and in the UK, it's obviously not as bad but still like if you think of uh, the class system and you think of like all the old school middle class white people in the uk like they have a pretty tight network they're good um so mm -hmm. you kind of have to do the same thing you have to build your own network otherwise nobody's gonna refer you to a job and nobody's gonna introduce you to so and so so the importance of a network i guess is a similarity between the two countries um, so yeah, your question makes total sense. If you came to the UK, what would I do? I would pick uh, like interests that I have. Like for example, if you're interested in startups or you work with startups, you can join something like Growth Mentor or other like startup um, centered communities. There's loads of communities uh, that you can join. So I would find interests that you have and try to join those. I would find potentially communities around who you are. So if you are 
uh, I don't know, you're Polish, right? So if you if you came to yeah. the UK, I'd probably look for a community of like Polish people who like have a shared interest or who are based in London, because then at least you have a network that you have something in common with who can kind of help you open some doors initially. So I would look at what you have, like your your, I guess your traits, your interests, your experience, and try to join communities that have something in common around those things because that would be like a good first step and that could be also interests you mm-hmm. want to have so if you want to get into i don't know sustainability or if you want to get into startups or if you want to get into entrepreneurship then join those groups because they'll help you open doors so definitely do that in lebanon if you want to go there uh from like a connection point of view just go out and chat to people like Literally, just go to a bar, go to a pub, go to a restaurant and chat to whoever is next to you. I bet you they'll invite you home for dinner the next day and they'll probably mm-hmm. introduce you to their friends within a few days. That's probably the best way for you to start. Yeah, but talk mostly about private and social life, not about business yeah, yeah, straight yeah. away. Okay, gotcha. Cool, yeah. Uh, <laughs> right now, I'm just imagining like you know, going out to the restaurant and getting <laughs> for a dinner, like, I met somebody away. last year That's really... who uh, told me that they went to Lebanon and they chatted with a random person and then they ended up going to that person's grandmother's house up in the mountains, like, two days later because she was, like, hosting a family dinner <laughs> and it's like, oh my god, you should totally come and check it out. She makes the best food, so you should come over. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Okay, Listen, uh, before we finish our conversation, I've got one more, maybe more personal question um, to ask you. What does being intentional mean to you? I saw that on your, you know, on your socials and I believe that's the really important message you've got for all of us. Yeah, that's definitely my theme for this year. Uh, I have a thing called shiny object syndrome. Uh, it comes from working in consulting and chasing the next cool project and chasing the next client and chasing the next day. Mm-hmm. Um, so I tend to just pick whatever is really cool and say yes to it. That has led me to really interesting places. Like I said, like I've pivoted a million times, I've adapted a million times, I've tried all sorts of things. Uh, but it's also led me to burning out. It's led me to waste a lot of time on people who just really didn't deserve my time. It's led me to hire the wrong person last year who ended up costing me uh, money, but also a lot of time that I could not afford to lose this early in my um, in my startup stage. Um, so this year I'm being more intentional in what I say yes to. So I'm only chasing things um, that I know are going to deliver value uh, it's a bit like that model i showed you like this came off the mm-hmm. back of that bad hire i had to sit down and just go i can't keep saying yes to everything i can't keep doing all the things at the same time i'm gonna have to be intentional in what i do next and prioritizing my private coaching practice for this quarter was a really intentional choice um i'm gonna continue doing that this year i'm only gonna say yes to things that i know will move my business the needle on my business and i'm gonna say no to things that i think are a waste of time and i suggest you do the same thing 
Oof, uh, <laughs> I will try to, because uh, like with the ADD or ADHD or whatever you call it, like mind, everything's shiny and everything's cool and everything's fascinating and you just switch from one topic to another. So that's a lot of things uh, happening right, even right now. So I can resonate with it. Yeah, like right now I'm just thinking about those Lego blocks and how could I synthesize myself in a couple of those blocks. And personally, for me, the lessons I take out from our conversation is always think like what's the worst can happen. And most often it's nothing truly bad. Uh, Practice makes better, obviously. Not perfect, but better. Be intentional about what you pick, about your interest, and where you position yourself so that you do not spread yourself too thin. Try to synthesize yourself into a couple of blocks. And if that's possible, and I believe that's possible for everyone, Try to give it a form, let it be Lego, let it be a post-it note, let it be anything. So you just can look at it and get reminded about that everything. Yeah, those are my lessons. Anything we should add to this list? Uh, I think just one thing when you said, um, like, be intentional what you focus on, but also be prepared to change. Uh, it's like nothing's gonna mm-hmm. be like set in stone forever right like this model is a quarterly model and a qu- like at the end of the month like I said this is gonna change because I, I, I intentionally built a thing that's gonna work for me in a quarter so uh, I, I ran a workshop a few weeks ago um, to help people who are feeling a bit stuck not sure what to do next think about think about it differently and one of my pieces of advice was don't think in all or nothing uh, thinking experiments so a lot of us have a tendency to catastrophize so we go oh my god if I send this network this connection request it's gonna be the end of the world and like I'm gonna look so bad I'm never gonna like be able to do it again uh, or like oh my god if I take this job it's gonna probably be just as bad as the one I'm in and I'm going to be probably be fired at before my probation ends and you know what it's not worth it or I'm going to start this business and it's going to tank and it's going to be so bad and I'm going to go bankrupt and end up sleeping on the street like our brain has a tendency to catastrophize every single fucking decision uh, so yeah. we end up going it's either this or that but sometimes it's a lot of things along the way whether that's like different time scales i i'm only thinking in quarters because i don't want to think about the next five years because there's a million things i want to do so instead i'm going to think in a quarter or if you're trying to like start a thing like start your own business for example it doesn't have to be Mm -hmm. like the thing that's going to require you to hire four people and you know take out loans or whatever what's the minimum thing that you can do to test out your concept or to make some progress it's taking the first step but taking the first step in an experimental way and then seeing how things go and if they don't go you can still adjust because it's not like all black or white it could just be like what if I did this landing page and told 20 people I know about it and they all said it was shit? 
<laughs> oh great, fine, it's fine. It just cost me a day. It's okay. I'll go do something else. So just be be ready mm-hmm. to adapt is the, I guess the addition I would make to what you just said. Yeah. Okay. So please tell me, where can we meet you? Where can we find more more of you, more of your thoughts, and I don't know your socials, your websites, or maybe some London meetups we could find you at? Uh, I need to do more of those this year. That's that's for sure. So currently I... Yeah, currently I don't think I have anything off the top of my head, but LinkedIn is my primary channel. So come connect with me on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, I do two things. I do private coaching and team training. My private coaching is at amal.co. It's my name.co. And uh, the team training is at thebrick.coach. But you can also just come and chat to me and I can put you to the right direction. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. So to wrap it up, this was Amal Galbuni and I'm Michael, the introvert networker, and thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day.